If you didn't realize it, this is a totally free podcast. How does Carla do it? Well, she loves to read the classics, but we all could use a little help now and then. So if you'd like to show your appreciation, any small donation would be appreciated. Visit anchor.fm slash Carla 3507 or cash app dollar sign Jess TSM. Chapter 39 It was the second week in May in which the three young ladies set out together from Gracechurch Street for the town of in Hertfordshire, and as they drew near the appointed inn where Mr. Bennet's carriage was to meet them, they quickly perceived, in token of the coachman's punctuality, both Kitty and Lydia looking out of a dining room upstairs. These two girls had been above an hour in the place, happily employed in visiting an opposite milliner, watching the sentinel on guard, and dressing a salad and cucumber. After welcoming their sisters, they triumphantly displayed a table set out with such cold meat as an inn larder usually affords, exclaiming, Is not this nice? Is not this an agreeable surprise? And we mean to treat you all, added Lydia, but you must lend us the money for we have just spent ours at the shop out there. Then showing her purchases, look here, I have brought this bonnet. I do not think it is very pretty, but I thought I might as well buy it as not. I shall put it to pieces as soon as I get home and see if I can make it up any better. And when her sisters abused it as ugly, she added with perfect unconcern, oh, but there were two or three much uglier in the shop. And when I have bought some prettier colored satin to trim it with fresh, I think it will be very tolerable. Besides, it will not much signify what one wears this summer after the shire have left Meryton and they are going in a fortnight. Are they indeed, cried Elizabeth with the greatest satisfaction. They are going to be encamped near Brighton, and I do so want Papa to take us all there for the summer. It would be such a delicious scheme, and I dare say would hardly cost anything at all. Mama would like to go too, of all things. Only think what a miserable summer else we shall have. Yes, thought Elizabeth, that would be a delightful scheme indeed, and completely do for us at once. Good heaven, Brighton, and a whole campful of soldiers to us who have been overset already by one poor regiment of militia and the monthly balls of Meryton. Now I have got some news for you, said Lydia, as they sat down at table. What do you think? It is, ex it is excellent news, capital news, and about a certain person we all like. Jane and Elizabeth looked at each other, and the waiter was told he need not stay. Lydia laughed and said, Ay, that is just like your formality and discretion. You thought the waiter must not hear, as if he cared. I dare say he often hears worse things than I am about to say. But he is an ugly fellow. I am glad he is gone. I never saw such a long chin in my life. Well, but now for my news. It is about dear Wickham. Too good for the waiter, is it not? There is no danger of Wickham's marrying Mary King. There's for you. She is she has gone down to her uncle at Liverpool, gone to stay. Wickham is safe. And Mary King is safe, added Elizabeth, safe from a connection imprudent and so as to fortune. She is a great fool for going away, if she liked him. But I hope there is no strong attachment on either side, said Jane. I am sure there is not on his. I will answer for it. He never cared three straws about her, but could 
Who could about such a nasty little freckled thing? Elizabeth was shocked to think that, however incapable of such coarseness of expression herself, the coarseness of the sentiment was little other than her own breast had harbored and fancied liberal. As soon as all had ate and the elder ones paid, the carriage was ordered, and after some contrivance, the whole party, with all their boxes, work bags, and parcels, and the unwelcome addition of Kitty's and Lydia's perches, were seated in it. How nicely we are all crammed in, cried Lydia. I am glad I bought my bonnet, if it is only for the fun of having another bandbox. Well, now let us be quite comfortable and snug and talk and laugh all the way home. And in the first place, let us hear what has happened to you all since you went away. Have you seen any pleasant men? Have you had any flirting? I was in great hopes that one of you would have got a husband before you came back. Jane will be quite an old maid soon, I declare. She is almost three and twenty. Lord, how ashamed I should be of not being married before three and twenty. My Aunt Phillips wants you so to my Aunt Phillips wants you so to get husbands. You can't think. She says Lizzie had better have taken Mr. Collins, but I do not think there would have been any fun in it. Lord, how I should like to be married before any of you, and then I would chaperone you about to all the balls. Dear me, we had such a good piece of fun the other day at Colonel Forster's. Kitty and me were to spend the day there, and Mrs. Forster promised to have a little dance in the evening. By the by, Miss, Mrs. Forster and me are such friends, and so she asked the two Harringtons to come. But Harriet was ill, and so, was, and so Penn was forced to come by herself. And then, what do you think we did? We dressed up Chamberlain in woman's clothes on purpose to pass for a lady. Only think what fun! Not a soul knew of it, but Colonel and Mrs. Forster and Kitty and me, except my aunt, for we were forced to borrow one of her gowns, and you cannot imagine how well he looked. When Denny and Wickham and Pratt and two or three more of the men came in, they did not know him from the least. Lord, how I laughed, and so did Mrs. Forster. I thought I should have died, and that made the men suspect something, and then they soon found out what was the matter." With such kinds of histories of their parties and good jokes, did Lydia, assisted by Kitty's hints and additions, endeavor to amuse her companions all the way to Longbourn. Elizabeth listened as little as she could, but there was no escape in the frequent mention of Wickham's name. Their reception at home was most kind. Mrs. Bennet rejoiced to see Jane in undiminished beauty, and more than once during dinner did Mr. Bennet say voluntarily to Elizabeth, I am glad you are I am glad you are come back, Lizzie. Their party in the dining room was large, for almost all the Lucases came to meet Maria and hear the news, and various were the subjects that occupied them. Lady Lucas was inquiring of Maria after the welfare and poultry of her eldest daughter. Mrs. Bennet was doubly... Chapter 40 Elizabeth's impatience to acquaint Jane with what had happened could no longer be overcome, and at length, resolving to suppress every particular in which her sister was concerned, and preparing her to be surprised, she related to her the next morning the chief of the scene between Mr. Darcy and herself. Miss Bennet's astonishment was soon lessened by the strong sisterly partiality which made any admiration of Elizabeth appear perfectly natural, and all surprise was shortly lost in other feelings. She was sorry that Mr. Darcy should have delivered his sentiments in a manner so little suited to recommend them, but still more was 
but still more was she grieved for the unhappiness which her sister's refusal must have given him. His being so sure of succeeding was wrong, said she, and certainly ought to not have appeared, but consider how much it, it must increase his disappointment. Indeed, replied Elizabeth, I am heartily sorry for him, but he has other feelings which will probably soon drive away his regard for me. You do not blame me, however, for refusing him. Blame you? Oh, no. But you blame me for having spoken so warmly of Wickham. No, I do not know that you were wrong in saying what you did. But you will know it when I tell you what happened the very next day. She then spoke of the letter, repeating the whole of its contents as far as they concerned George Wickham. What a stroke was this for poor Jane, who would willingly have gone through the world without believing that so much wickedness existed in the whole race of mankind as was here collected in one individual. Nor was Darcy's vindication, though grateful to her feelings, capable of consoling her for such discovery. Most earnestly did she labor to prove the probability of error and seek to clear the one without involving the other. This will not do, said Elizabeth. You never will be able to make both of them good for anything. Take your choice, but you must be satisfied with only one. There is but such a quantity of merit between them, just enough to make one just enough to make one good sort of man, and of late it has been shifting about pretty much. For my part, I am inclined to believe it all Darcy's, but you shall do as you choose. It was some time, however, before a smile could be exhorted from Jane. I do not know when I have been more shocked, said she. Wickham so very bad. It is almost past belief. And poor Mr. Darcy. Dear Lizzie, only consider what he must have suffered. Such a disappointment, and with knowledge of your ill opinion, too, and having to relate such a thing of his sister... It is really too distressing. I am sure you must feel it so. Oh, no, my re my regret and compassion are all done away by seeing you so full of both. I know you will do him such ample justice that I am growing every moment more unconcerned and indifferent. Your profusion makes me saving, and if you lament over him much longer, my heart will be as light as a feather. Poor Wickham, there is such an expression of goodness in his countenance, such an openness and gentleness in his manner. There certainly was some great mismanagement in the education of those two young men. One has got all the goodness and the other all the appearance of it. I never thought Mr. Darcy so deficient in the appearance of it as you used to. And yet I meant to be uncommonly clever in taking so decided a dislike to him without any reason. It is such a spur to one's genius, such an opening for wit to have dislike of that kind. And one may be continually abusive without saying anything just, but one cannot always be laughing at a man without now and then stumbling on something witty. Lizzie, when you first read that letter, I am sure you could not treat the matter as you do now. Indeed, I could not. I was uncomfortable enough, I, I may say unhappy, and with no one to speak to about what I felt, no Jane to comfort me and say what I had not been so very weak and vain and nonsensical as I knew I had. Oh, how I wanted you! How unfortunate that you should have used such very strong expressions and speaking of Wickham to Mr. Darcy, for now they do appear wholly undeserved. Certainly but the misfortune of speaking with bitterness is a most natural consequence of the prejudices I had been encouraging. 
There is one point on which I want your advice. I want to be told whether I ought or ought not to make our acquaintances in general understand Wickham's character. Miss Bennet paused a little and then replied, Surely there can be no occasion for exposing him so dreadfully. What is your opinion? That it ought not to be attempted. Mr. Darcy has not authorized me to make his communication public. On the contrary, every particular relative to his sister was meant to be kept as much as possible to myself. And if I endeavor to undeceive people as to the rest of his conduct, who will believe me? The general prejudice against Mr. Darcy is so violent that it would be the death of half the good people in Meryton to attempt to place him in an amiable light. I am not equal to it. Wickham will soon be gone, and therefore it will not signify to anyone here what he really is. Sometime hence it will be all found out, and then we may laugh at their stupidity and not knowing it before. At present, I will say nothing about it. You are right. To have his errors made public might ruin him forever. He is now perhaps sorry for what he has done and anxious to reestablish a character. We must not make him desperate. The tumult of Elizabeth's mind was allayed by this conversation. She had got rid of two of the secrets which had weighed on her for a fortnight and was certain of a willing listener in Jane whenever she might wish to talk again of either. But there was still something lurking behind of which prudence forbade the disclosure. She dared not relate the other half of Mr. Darcy's letter, nor explain to her sister how sincerely she had been valued by her friend. Here was knowledge in which no one could partake, and she was sensible that nothing less than a perfect understanding between the parties could justify her in throwing off this last encumbrance of misery. And then she said, if that very improbable event should ever take place, I shall merely be able to tell what Bingley may tell in a much more agreeable manner himself. The liberty of communication cannot be mine till it has lost all of its value. She was now, on being settled at home, at leisure to observe the real state of her sister's spirits. Jane was not happy. She still cherished a very tender affection for Bingley. Having never ever fancied herself in love before, her regard had all the warmth of first attachment, and from her age and disposition, great steadiness than most first attachments often boast, and so fervently did she value his remembrance and prefer him to every other man that all her good sense and all her attention to the feelings of her friends were requisite to check the indulgence of those regrets which must have been injurious to her own health and their tranquility. Well, Lizzie, said Mrs. Bennet one day, what is your opinion now of this sad business of Jane's? For my part, I am determined never to speak of it again to anybody. I told my sister Philip so the other day, but I cannot find out what Jane saw anything of him in London. Well, he is a very undeserving young man, and I do not suppose there's the least chance in the world of him ever of her ever getting him now. There is no talk of his coming to Netherfield again in the summer, and I have inquired of everybody, too, who is likely to know. I do not believe he will ever live at Netherfield any more. Oh, well, it's just as he chooses. Nobody wants him to come, though I shall always say he used my daughter extremely ill, and if I was her, I would not have put up with it. Well, my comfort is I am sure Jane will die of a broken heart, and then he will be sorry for what he has done. 
But as Elizabeth could not receive comfort from any such expectation, she made no answer. Well, Lizzie, continued her mother, soon afterwards, and so the Collinses live very comfortable, do they? Well, well, I only hope it will last. And what sort of, of table do they keep? Charlotte is an excellent manager, I dare say. If she is half as sharp as her mother, she is saving enough. There is nothing extravagant in their housekeeping, I dare say. No, nothing at all. A great deal of good management depend upon it. Yes, yes, they will take care not to outrun their income. They will never be distressed for money. Well, much good may it do them. And so I suppose they often talk of having long born when your father is dead. They look upon it as quite their own, I dare say, whenever that happens. It was a subject which they could not mention before me. No, it would have been strange if they had but I make no doubt they often talk of it between themselves. Well, if they can be easy with an estate that is not lawfully their own, so much the better. I should be ashamed of having one that was only entailed on me. And that brings us to the end of chapter 40 of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Thank you so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. If you care to uh, leave a comment, you can do so at the episode Q&A section of the, uh, of the episode, or you can write to me at CarlaReadsTheClassics at gmail.com. Anchor users, voicemail is always on. And if you enjoy the content here at Carla Reads the Classics, I ask that you consider a small contribution to further support the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Oh, and before I go, let me say again, excuse the reading flubs. Until next time. Hi, everybody. Carla here, and welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. As always, you guys know I love hearing from you. You can reach me at CarlaReadsTheClassics at gmail.com with your questions, your comments, or your suggestions. And you can always reply to the Q&A section of the episode. I just learned about that recently. And to Anchor users, I also respond to voicemails. So tell me, where are you listening from today? Are you on your way to or perhaps home from work or school? Are you listening at home or at work or in the car? Wherever you're listening from today, I thank you so much for making Carla Reads the Classics a part of your day or a part of your evening, whichever the case may be. I appreciate it very much. And now, without further delay, I give you Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, Chapter 37. The two gentlemen left Rosings the next morning, and Mr. Collins, having been in waiting near the lodges to make them his parting obeisance, was able to bring home the pleasing intelligence of their appearing in very good health and in as tolerable spirits as could be expected after the melancholy scene so lately gone through at Rosings. To Rosings then he hastened to console Lady Catherine and her daughter, and on his return brought back with great satisfaction a message from her ladyship, importing that she felt herself so dull as to make her very desirous of having them all to dine with her. Elizabeth could not see Lady Catherine without recollecting that, had she chosen it, she might by this time have been presented to her as her future niece, nor could she think, without a smile, of what her ladyship's indignation would have been. What would she have said? How would she have behaved? were questions with which she amused herself. Their first subject was the diminution of the Rosings party. I assure you, I feel it exceedingly, said Lady Catherine. I believe no one feels the loss of friends so much as I do, but I am particularly attached to these young men. 
and know them to be so much attached to me. They were excessively sorry to go, but so they always are. The dear colonel rallied his spirits tolerably till just at last, but Darcy seemed to feel it most acutely, more, I think, than last year. His attachment to Rosings certainly increases. Mr. Collins had a compliment and an allusion to, to throw in here, which were kindly smiled on by the mother and daughter. Lady Catherine observed after dinner that Miss Bennet seemed out of spirits and immediately accounting for it by herself, by supposing that she did not like to go home again so soon, she added, but if that is the case, you must write to your mother and beg that you may stay a little longer. Mrs. Collins will be very glad of your company, I am sure. I am much obliged to your ladyship for your kind invitation, replied Elizabeth, but it is not in my power to accept it. I must be in town next Saturday. Why, at that rate, you will have been here only six weeks. I expected you to stay two months. I told Mrs. Collins so before you came. There can be no occasion for your going so soon. Mrs. Bennet could certainly spare you for another fortnight. But my father cannot. He wrote last week to hurry my return. Oh, your father, of course, may spare you, if your mother can. Daughters are never of so much consequence to a father. And if you will stay another month complete, it will be in my power to take one of you as far as London, for I am going there early in June for a week. And as Dawson does not object to the baroche box, there will be very good room for one for one of you. And indeed, if the weather should happen to be cool, I should not object to taking you both, as you are neither of you large. You are all kindness, madam, but I believe we must abide by our original plan. Lady Catherine seemed resigned. Mrs. Collins, you must send a servant with them. You know, I always speak my mind, and I cannot bear the idea of two young women traveling post by themselves. It is highly improper. You must contrive to send somebody. I have the greatest dislike in the world to that sort of thing. Young women should always be properly guarded and attended according to their situation in life. When my niece Georgiana went to Ramsgate last summer, I made a point of her having two men servants go with her. Miss Darcy, the daughter of Mr. Darcy of Pemberley, and Lady Anne could not have appeared with propriety in a different manner. I am excessively attentive to all those things. You must send John with the young ladies, Mrs. Collins. I am glad that it occurred to me to mention it, for it would really be discreditable to you to let them go alone. My uncle is to send a servant for us. Oh, your uncle. He keeps a manservant, doesn't he? I am very glad you have somebody who thinks of these things. Where shall you change horses? Oh, Bromley, of course. If you mention my name on the bell, you will be attended to. Lady Catherine had many other questions to ask respecting their journey, and as she did not answer them all herself, attention was necessary, which Elizabeth believed to be lucky for her, or with a mind so occupied she might have forgotten where she was. Reflection must be, must be reserved for solitary hours. Whenever she was alone, she gave way to it as the greatest relief, and not a day went by without a solitary walk in which she might indulge in all the delight of unpleasant recollections. Mr. Darcy's letter. She was in a fair way of soon knowing by heart. She studied every sentence, and her feelings towards its writer were, at times, widely different. When she remembered the style of his address, she was still full of indignation. 
But when she considered how unjustly she had condemned and upbraided him, her anger was turned against herself, and his disappointed feelings became the object of compassion. His attachment excited gratitude, his general character respect, but she could not approve him, nor could she for a moment repent her refusal or feel the slightest inclination to ever see him again. In her own past behavior, there was a constant source of vexation and regret, and in the unhappy defects of her family, a subject of yet heavier chagrin. They were hopeless of remedy. Her father, contented with laughing at them, would never exert himself to restrain the wild giddiness of his youngest daughters, and her mother, with manners so far from right herself, was entirely insensible, insensible of the evil. Elizabeth had frequently united with Jane in an endeavor to check the imprudence of Catherine and Lydia, but while they were, suppo but while they were supported by their mother's indulgence, what chance could there be of improvement? Catherine, weak-spirited, irritable, and completely under Lydia's guidance, had been always affronted by their advice, and Lydia, self-willed and careless, would scarcely give them a hearing. They were ignorant, idle, and vain. While there was an officer in Meryton, they would flirt with him, and while Meryton was within a walk of Longbourn, they would be going there forever." Anxiety on Jane's behalf was another prevailing concern, and Mr. Darcy's explanation by restoring Bingley to her former good opinion heightened the sense of what Jane had lost. His affection was proved to have been sincere, and his conduct cleared of all blame, unless any could attach to the implications of his confidence in his friend. How grievous, then, was the thought that, of a situation so desirable in every respect, so replete with advantage, so promising for happiness, Jane had been deprived by the folly and indecorum of her own family. When to these recollections was added the development of, of Wickham's character, it may be easily believed that the happy spirits, which had seldom been depressed before, were now so much affected as to make it almost impossible for her to appear tolerably cheerful. Their engagements at Rosings were as frequent during the last week of her stay as they had been at the first. The very last evening was spent there, and her ladyship again inquired minutely into the particulars of their journey, gave them directions as to the best method of packing, and was so urgent on the necessary of placing gowns in, only, in, in the only right way that Maria thought herself obliged on her return to undo all the work of the morning and pack her trunk afresh. When they parted, Lady Catherine, with great condescension, wished them a good journey and invited them to come to Hunsford again next year, and Mr. Burrell exerted herself so far as to curtsy and hold out her hand to both. And that'll do it for Chapter 37 of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Please stay tuned. Chapter 38. On Saturday morning, Elizabeth and Mr. Collins met for breakfast a few minutes before the others appeared, and he took the opportunity of paying the parting civilities, which he deemed indispensably necessary. I know not, Miss Elizabeth, said he, whether Mrs. Collins has yet expressed her sense of your kindness in coming to us, but I am very certain you will not leave the house without receiving her thanks for it. The favor of your company has been much felt, I assure you. 
we know how little there is to tempt anyone to our humble abode. Our plain manner of living, our small rooms and few domestics, and the little we see of the world must make Hunsford extremely dull to a young lady like yourself. But I hope you will believe us that we are grateful for the condescension and that we have done everything in our power to prevent your spending your time unpleasantly. Elizabeth was eager with her thanks and assurances of happiness. She has spent six weeks with great enjoyment, and the pleasure of being with Charlotte and the kind attention she had received must make her feel the obliged. Mr. Collins was gratified, and with a more smiling solemnity replied, It gives me great pleasure to hear that you have passed your time not disagreeably. We have certainly done our best, and most fortunately having it in our power to introduce you to very superior society. And from our connection with Rosings, the frequent means of varying the humble home scene, I think we may flatter ourselves that your Hunsford visit cannot have been entirely irksome. Our situation with regard to Lady Catherine's family is indeed the sort of extraordinary advantage and blessing which few can boast. You see on what a footing we are. You see how continually we are engaged there. In truth, I must acknowledge that with all the disadvantage, disadvantages of this, humble, of this humble parsonage, I should not think anyone abiding in it an object of compassion while they are shares of our intimacy at Rosings. Words were insufficient for the elevation of his feelings, and he was obliged to walk about the room while Elizabeth tried to unite civility and truth in a few short sentences. You may, in fact, carry a very favorable report of us into Hertfordshire, my dear cousin. I flatter myself at least that you will be able to do so. Lady Catherine's great attentions to Mrs. Collins you have been a daily witness of, and altogether I trust it does not appear that your friend has drawn an unfortunate, but on this point it will be as well to be silent. Only let me assure you, my dear Miss Elizabeth, that I can from my heart most cordially wish you the equal felicity in marriage. My dear Charlotte and I have but one mind and one way of thinking. There is in everything a most remarkable resemblance of character and ideas between us. We seem to have been designed for each other. Elizabeth could safely say that it was a great happiness where that was the case, and with equal sincerity could add that she firmly believed and rejoiced in his domestic comforts. She was not sorry, however, to have the recital of them interrupted by the lady from whom they sprang. Poor Charlotte, it was melancholy to leave her to such society, but she had chosen it with her eyes open, and though evidently regretting that her visitors were to go, she did not seem to ask for compassion. Her home and her housekeeping, her parish and her poultry, and all their dependent concerns had not yet lost their charms. At length the chase arrived, the trunks were fastened on, the parcels placed within, and it was pronounced to be ready." After an affectionate parting between the friends, Elizabeth was attended to the carriage by Mr. Collins, and as they walked down the garden, he was commissioning her with his best respects to all her family, not forgetting his thanks for the kindness he had received at Longbourn in the winter, and his compliments to Mr. and Mrs. Gardiner, though unknown. He then handed her in, Maria followed, and the door was on the point of being closed when he suddenly reminded them, with some consternation, that they had hitherto forgotten to leave any message for the ladies at Rosings. But, he added, 
You will, of course, wish to have your humble respects delivered to them with your grateful thanks for their kindness to you while you have been here. Elizabeth made no objection. The door was then allowed to be shut and the carriage drove off. Good gracious, cried Maria after a few minutes. Silence. It seems but a day or two since we first came and yet how many things have happened. A great many indeed, said her companion with a sigh. We have dined nine times at Rosings, besides drinking tea there twice. How much shall I have to tell? Elizabeth added privately as to how much I shall have to conceal. Their journey was performed without much conversation or any alarm, and within four hours of their leaving Hunsford, they reached Mr. Gardiner's house, where they were to remain a few days. Jane looked well, and Elizabeth had little opportunity of studying her spirits amidst the various engagements which the kindness of her aunt had reserved for them. But Jane was to go home with her, and at Longbourn there would be leisure enough for observation. It was not without effort, meanwhile, that she could wait even that she could wait even for Longbourn before she told her sister of Mr. Darcy's proposals. To know that she had the power of revealing what should so exceedingly astonish Jane and must, at the same time, so highly gratify whatever of her own vanity she had not yet been able to reason away, was such a temptation to openness as nothing could have conquered but the state of indecision in which she remained as to the extent of what she should communicate, and her fear if she once entered on the subject of being hurried into repeating something of Bingley, which might only grieve her sister further. And that does it for chapter 38. Thanks so much for listening. Please stay tuned. Lady Lucas was inquiring of Maria after the welfare and poultry of her eldest daughter. Mrs. Bennet was doubly engaged. On one hand, collecting an account of the present fashions from Jane, who sat some way below her, and on the other, retailing them all to the younger Lucases. And Lydia, in a voice whose rather louder than any other person's, was enumerating the various pleasures of the morning to anybody who would hear her. Oh, Mary, she said, I wish you had gone with us, for we had such fun. As we went along, Kitty and I drew up the blinds and pretended there was nobody in the coach, and I should have gone all the way so if Kitty had not been sick. And when we got to the George, I do think we behaved rather handsomely, for we treated the other three with the nicest cold luncheon in the world, and if you would have gone, we would have treated you too. And then, when we came away, it was such fun, I thought we should never have got into the coach. I was ready to die of laughter. And then we were so merry all the way home, we talked and laughed so loud that anybody might have heard us ten miles off. To this, Mary gravely replied, Far be it from me, my dear sister, to depreciate such pleasures. They would doubtless be congenial with the geniality of female minds, but I confess they would have no charms for me. I should, indefinite, I should infinitely prefer a book. But of this answer, Lydia heard not a word. She seldom listened to anybody for more than half a minute, and she never attended Mary at all. In the afternoon, Lydia was urgent with the rest of the girls to talk to to walk to Meryton and to see how everybody went on. But Elizabeth steadily opposed the scheme. It should not be said that the Miss Bennets could not be at home half a day before they were in pursuit of officers. There was another reason, too, for her opposition. She dreaded seeing Mr. Wickham again and was resolved to avoid it as long as possible. 
the comfort to her of the regiment's approaching approaching removal was indeed beyond express beyond expression. In a fortnight, they were to go, and once gone, she hoped there could be nothing more to plague her on this account. She had not been many hours at home before she found that the Brighton scheme, of which Lydia had given them a hint at the end, was under frequent discussion between the parents. Elizabeth saw directly her father had not the smallest intention of yielding, but his answers were at the same time so vague and equivocal that her mother, though often disheartened, had never yet despaired of succeeding at last.